Hello and welcome to the Tech on Toast podcast. My name is Chris Fletcher and I'm your host. Tech on Toast exists to connect hospitality to technology. Search for your best problem-solving tech on our marketplace, listen to both operators and tech experts on our podcast, or just meet up with the brilliant people who are helping innovate the hospitality industry as we enter a new era. Welcome to Tech on Toast. The Tech on Toast podcast is brought to you today by Rems Hospitality. Benchmark your restaurant across other venues securely and gain market share. To find out more about Rems, head over to their website, remshospitality.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of Tech on Toast. And this week, we're very delighted to be joined by Christian Moissat. Am I very got that right? Good. Yep. But my French is Your perfect. French is coming along very nicely. And before we get into anything, Christian, uh, you arrived by slide today. Our first guest excited. to do that. And uh, um, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, probably the only way to arrive at Brewdog Waterloo. I, I totally agree. They, they showed me it then, and they said, you've got two options, the stairs or the slide. I'm like, I'm on the slide. Let's <laughs> got, go. Normally, the two option thing is the bat or the something. Yeah, it's quite violent. Uh, but anyway, that's very cool. Uh, so tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a bit about your background and, uh, and what are you doing here? Yeah, so grew up in France, then moved to the UK to study computer science. Um, and upon graduating, I made the most obvious move there was set up a chain of restaurants. Yes, well you know? done you. <laughs> yes, oh yes. My parents were like, what's going on? <laughs> so uh, set up Hummus Brothers in London, um, started on Wardour Street, grew that to six locations. And we did a bunch of, of pop-ups in lots of corporate canteens, you know, like so the, the Goldman's or the JP yeah. Morgan canteen, we'd go in once a day, once a week and, and run a, a pop-up there. And one thing that was driving me crazy when I ran that business was just how hard, I mean, it's first thing. On the outside, running a restaurant looks easy, right? Yes, everyone Pass can do it. Food, anyone can do it, right? <laughs> oh, my God, it's the hardest thing I ever did. It's like you've got, obviously, a bunch of suppliers bringing you, like, perishable goods. You've got machinery that might be breaking down. You've got staff that some are doing it for the long time. Some are doing it, you know, just for yep. three months. Passing through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're just having to firefight day in, day out, right? And so that was just the first eye-opening piece. The second thing was just how hard it was to actually know what, what how to run the business efficiently, how to get the performance to be good. And I remember the number of hours I spent in Excel downloading these bloody CSVs and trying to put it all together to see what I was going. And that's really why I set up Tenzo. It was just like I couldn't get my GMs on the ground to know what to do, like based on the data. It was all gut. And some had great gut, others didn't. And it was just... Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? And I always talk about in this podcast consistency, right? And you, everyone's dream is to get everybody thinking like me or, or being like me, right? And you, it's very hard to produce 10 of you, 10 Christians, right? So it, it makes sense. And I remember, I'm old enough to remember we were doing payroll out the bloody safe uh, when I was at Ask Restaurants back in the 90s. And, um, and But also our forecasting was all done on Excel. I mean, when I say forecasting, we were week by week, right? We were doing nothing probably more ingenious than that. I'm sure the people in head office were, but at a general manager level, we were just going through the weeks, writing it in a book, I think it was. So, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and, and tell me about tens of them, because there's, there's the rebrand, which I'll get onto in a minute, which is amazing. Um, but before that, tell me how it kind of developed from that idea of saying, right, I need my GMs to kind of be on the same page here. Totally. So, you know, as a restaurateur, you're, 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 when you're setting up, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to need a POS to capture all the sales. I'm going to need a labor tool to tell everyone where they're working. I need an inventory tool. And we were seeing, as I was running Homer's Brothers, we were seeing these different tools coming along and like developing. And, you know, from the point we had the fax machine, and I'll say there was zero data at that point. Okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a few years down the line, we were starting to see all these tools coming. And, and it was great to see the, the amount of data being captured increasing, but there was just less and less the ability to get insight from it. So it was just like more and more data and less ability to get insight. And so 
Adam and I, who both studied computer science together, and he, after uni, he had a much more reasonable career path. He went into <laughs> like doing computer development, uh, so um, uh, game development, and then he went into doing like. BI at a lo lots of large uh, companies. Yeah, he makes sense. He makes sense, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, that's what you should do afterwards. <laughs> and so we started thinking about this and saying, you know what? We need to figure out a way to aggregate all this information. So that was the kind of step one is, okay, let's bring the POS labor inventory data together. And we were like, great, got that. And we're like, that's good. And we're like, okay, wait, we need to get some insights and some predictions. What, what, what does this data actually tell us about the future? What should we do next week? And as you know, when you're running a restaurant, if you know how many sales you're going to make next week, it's much better to, yes. to plan and much less stressful, right? Yeah. And so we're like, great, we'll get this prediction and this, in, this analysis from it. And we got some really, really great feedback from a lot of brands, like whether it's Pizza Pilgrims, Incipior, Fat Duck, etc. But we still felt we were leaving value on the table because it wasn't yet getting to the GM in the restaurant, yeah. right? <clears throat> and the reason why was that we hadn't really connected those insights to the action you need to do. So let's say, hey, your average transaction value is lower. What does that actually mean? What, does the G what can the GM do to actually drive that? They could be upselling. They could be like recommending a specific dish. They could be, there's a number of actions. And really by connecting it and say, hey, you know what? You should upsell the mint and ginger lemonade. That's good. You're going to do then you see them take action. And that's where really you start getting value from the data. Yeah, because it's about what levers can you pull. When I was a GM, it's, you're so busy and you're so distracted. And, and, and it's like shiny thing. Something, you know, you can be distracted so easily. And also office space. And I always used to say, I always say this to tech people, you need to go and look at an office in a restaurant. Go and look at an office in a hotel. A hotel's actually a bit more grand. They've probably got at least two chairs. Uh, but in, a, in an office in a restaurant, it's often a broom cupboard. <laughs> it's, and then no one wants to be in there. I know. So you see a lot of them these days sitting on with their, you know, all their tech stacks <laughs> sitting out in the restaurant doing their bits. But um, so it's 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 that distraction piece. And what? How can I actually take what I've learned, take the data I've learned, and go and pull a lever? What can I do today to make it better? And uh, yeah, no, I, I I think it's brilliant. And I, we used to forecast at Carluccio's. We used to sit. We used to have a very heavy board meeting uh, when I was one that, when I was directing there. And we used to sit there, and it was a twelve week forecast we'd look at. But again, it was all driven by human, uh, I would say human BI. <laughs> so it's Excel, <laughs> otherwise known as Excel, uh, but run by a very smart guy actually called Jason Myers, who did all of our, uh, but if Jason was off, or if Jason didn't have a great day, <laughs> or something went wrong, then we would get inaccurate information. But anyway, I digress. But I want to talk, because I went to HRC last week, uh, and I got my lanyard before I arrived, which is a trade show at the XL for anybody listening in London. Uh, and um, I got my orange... Is it orange? Is that yeah, the right? Yeah, is that the right terminology? Yeah. So I got my orange lanyard, which and it was Tenzo, and um, and then when I walked past your stand, it's insane. It's a kick-ass rebrand. Um, Thank you so much. Why did you do it? And what kind of? I mean, I'm guessing you're getting good feedback, but yeah, what was the plan? Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for that feedback because we've been like trying to get, we've just gone live with this. This the 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 journey started, <clears throat> sorry, 800 days ago. We might. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what's funny? I looked, I was just like working. It's been like a year and a half, a couple of years. How long has it been? And I put the date we read this book. And this book is called Play Bigger. And I'll tell you a bit oh, about that. Very cool. And then the date we went live. And it was like bag on 800 days. I was like, oh, that's crazy. So we were just like, okay, well, we'll go with that's how long that journey. people forecasted 800 <laughs> days before launch. Brilliant. Without knowing. Exactly. <laughs> Boom, let's go. So there's this book called Play Bigger, which I really recommend. It's basically, it talks about category creation. So it talks about, so examples of categories like Salesforce is a cloud CRM or 
Uber is on-demand transportation. Yes. It just seems so obvious now, but you don't even think of it. You say, oh, I'll Uber it or whatever. Yeah. And it talks about how if you're creating a new product, often you need to create a category so that people who are looking to buy it put it in the right box, right? And what a lot of feedback we were getting is like, well, Tenzo, it's kind of BI. It's got also this AI forecasting. And they're like, there's not really a box to, to put it in. So we, we read this book. And really, I was like, that's exactly what we need to do. And it set off this whole journey where we spoke to a lot of our customers, prospect, partners, just to kind of understand how people were thinking about it and how could we define this category. And so not only have we changed the logo, done the rebranded, but more the, the bit that I'm most excited about is actually the category. Yes, I probably undersold it, actually, because actually you're, it's not just a, a, a brand change, is it? There's much more to it. And, and it's the category piece that's really the interesting one where you've got... It's, we've named it restaurant performance ops because we're, what we're trying, like, really when someone's looking at forecasting or their business intelligence, I think that conversation starts from someone at the board or someone in, in the management, they're saying, okay, we need to, like, boost our performance here. How are we going to do that? And someone will say, I know, we need to measure what's happening and we need to have, like, a visibility of what's happening next. That will help us improve our performance. And so that's really where we like, let's go back to the beginning. It's all about restaurants wanting to improve their performance and specifically the operational teams that can do that, right? Where the rubber hits the road is the ops teams that are actually deciding how much staff to have in, yep. how much food to order in, how to train the team, right? It's all around that team. And that's really why we wanted to like bring the focus on that and just being like, hey, we're bringing the data very simply in real time on mobile for the ops team. Yeah, and I think that's the sales point, right? As in, if I'm buying in as well, that actually it's, it is about the operator at the end of the day. And I think, and one of my questions I'm going to ask later is all about who do you build it for? Is it, is it for the central support team? Is it for the area managers? Is it for the GMs? And, it, it, and often it works for one and not the others, potentially sometimes. And I remember my boss said to me once, oh, Chris, I, I don't want you just to read the weather. Anybody can do that. I want you to tell me what's going to happen. I want you to forecast it. And as you know from watching the news every day, we're not very good at that either. <laughs> but um, how, how do you kind of ensure that what you're doing in terms of forecasting is accurate or close enough uh, to help these guys make the right decisions that you're talking about? And, and I think, so when I think, it's a great question, because when I think about forecasting, actually I'm thinking about how do I get the best of the AI and the human? Yes. Because fundamentally, there's no algorithm out there that is going to capture all the information about how your store is going to perform next week, right? Because let's say there's roadworks outside the front door, right? You're not going to know that. Right? So you need to have the GM also taking that number and thinking, hey, this number's worked out because it knows it's Mother's Day, it knows it's going to be sunny, and it knows it's like a Sunday, great. But I know there's this happening, so I'm going to like increase it or reduce it. And what we're seeing is actually we use very complex machine learning algorithms to take in weather, events, historical data to help predict what happens next week by day, by hour, so that you've got a good view of what's happening yep. but then we give it to the gm on mobile and say please give us your view of this right do you agree with it do you think it should be higher discipline and what we see is actually on average the gms take that number and actually make it slightly better and the the benefit of that is one they get a better number but secondly they trust that number they're not saying machine yeah, told me yes they're going up not down and because you know the the pessimism in gms because <laughs> uh, i was one it is real right because we will always underplay uh, uh, low ball as my <laughs> boss used to call it we'd always go under because we're fearful but it's great that they're actually thinking do you know what that's a solid number i can work from i think i can do that 
Everyone can't see him on the camera, but I'm raising my hand, <laughs> raising the bar. Going but yeah, up. it's interesting, isn't it? It is. It's very interesting. And I think the, the other benefit is that you get them to to trust it because they're not just saying, oh, the machine told me and I didn't, I just, I, I didn't believe it. Yeah. I'm actually, I had the opportunity to change it and therefore now I own that number. And therefore they're much more likely afterwards to actually deploy their labor and make their ordering plans off the back of that. So I think that's why it's so... And I believe in all these conversations around AI at the moment, yes. there's a lot going on. Uh, it's really the combination of both that I think is so powerful. I don't think AI ends up replacing jobs. I think it helps augment, like make everyone more productive and faster at everything. I, I think the headline on my breakfast TV, it was weird. I've got to digress quickly, but I had a teacher, uh, one of my, my wife's best friend came around. She's a teacher and she came last night and I was on OpenAI. And I said to her, I said, oh, do you write lesson plans? And she said, she told me about her lesson plan she's planning after Easter. So I tapped it in. Oh, it was about a pet shop. So I tapped it in and it literally wrote the lesson plan for it. And she was, and she had no clue about it. She's like, wow, that's ridiculous. And I said, you should be aware of this because uh, a lot of your colleagues may be using this already or uh, a lot of your students may be looking at it. Uh, and then interesting this morning on the news, it was, is AI a threat to humanity on my uh, breakfast morning TV? So I snapshotted that, sent it to her and said, maybe steer clear. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a really interesting thing there because you're actually, it's supporting her. Yes. To actually then deliver that to the children and make sure they take it in well, you need that human connection to be able to do it, right? It's not just having the lesson plan. Yeah, you're not going to stick the computer in front of these kids, are you? Well, actually, well, <laughs> you <maybe. know? laughs> yeah, my kids would, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's really that's really powerful to me. I think there's other risks, yeah. for sure. Uh, but but I think it's really, like, I see it very much as how does this empower people more yeah. to, like, do their jobs so much better? Yeah, and, and I think we used to forecast, as I mentioned before, it was 12 weeks we worked really in advance in Carluccio's. And um, as I said, all Excel-based. I think we had Cognos, um, yes. Towards the end, you know, towards the end of my time there, so that was supporting, you know, uh, our learning through BI. Uh, but obviously, it left us scratching our heads all the time. And I was just wondering, what kind of data are you bringing in to help support that accuracy? So you mentioned a few before. Um, you talked about weather. You talked about um, I can't remember stock or labour, whatever it might be. What kind of data are you dragging in to help make those decisions? So what we're doing is we're bringing obviously the sales data, yeah, weather and events. Also experimenting with things like reservations, footfall, and, and, and other pieces of that. But already from weather, sales, and events, we're able to train the, the machine, algor uh, machine learning algorithms to see, okay, when the weather's good in this location, does it have a positive impact because there's an outdoor space? Or is it actually in a station like here where actually maybe bad weather is good for this place? Yes. Maybe if it's raining, it gets busier, right? Yes, it does. So, so, and that's, so what, you, what one needs to do is really get each location is it has its own model and it's trained in its own on its own data to really make sure that we're giving the most accurate reading for that for that location and the more data you get the more it improves and learns and yeah. can get the accuracy more correct and i think the other interesting thing is really thinking about the pattern of when those sales come in during the day for example if it's going to be valentine's day you'll probably be busy overall, but in particular busy at dinner, Yes, because right? everyone's going to go. So really thinking also about like the impact of events and of the weather on the day so that the team cannot just say, hey, I'm going to make £5,000 on Monday. It's actually, I'm going to be really busy at dinner. Let's make sure I put the right number of people there. And, and what we see is that it's actually giving the teams, it makes their life much less stressful because 
I know when I was running restaurants, this was basically if you put too many people, you get told off for wasting money. And if you put too little, you're... Did you work for my boss? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the team is upset because they're running around yeah. and also because the customers are upset, right? So it's just like, and it's stressful, right, for the team. So it's, we're really about looking at it as like, how does it help the GM role make their lives easier and less stressful at the end of the day? And, and interestingly, because I mean, again, Going back to Carluccio's, I got there at site 25 and we ended up at 100. And so we opened wow. a lot of new sites and it was a nightmare, right? Because every time we opened a new site, it was kind of like, put your finger in there. Because we had no real track record of what we'd done. Obviously, we knew London and we had done a bit outside of London, but the, the, all the growth was, was north. So Midlands, Northwest, Southwest, wherever, wherever you want to look at Scotland. Um, so we had no real... Um, prior year data so in a new site when you're opening a, a supporting a new site in one of your customers how long does it take to really get a good understanding or is there a way you can use a bit of kidology to kind of have a good look beforehand yeah, that's a great question we get we get that one a lot. <laughs> i bet you get that one a lot. yeah it's a very good one there's two things to think about so with two things we can do right one is so Let's first of all answer how long, how much data do you need? You need about 90 days of data to really start getting like the weekly patterns, yeah. how is it impacted by weather, etc. So sub 90 days, it's very difficult. Yeah. But from 90 days, you start getting a pretty accurate number. And then really the next real milestone is about two years down the line, where because then it's starting to see events twice. So you'll see Mother's Day and Valentine's yeah. Day, like annual events twice. And so you get accuracy there. Now, how you can cheat a little bit yeah. is by telling it what location it's like. So you can look at another location in the estate and say, actually, this is one that's indoors, this size, etc. Yeah, so shopping like centre-based, compare it to that. Yeah, exactly. And then it starts saying, okay, I'll use the historical data from that site, and then as I get more and more data, I'll train on that and use both. So that we've seen that improve the accuracy. And I guess that helps site finding in a way, actually. If I'm a, if I'm an operator using Tenzo, I'm just guessing uh, that I've got I'm opening a new shopping center site. I've already got one shopping center site. I've got a bit of a I've got a bit of a foresight. I know you get that anyway when you go and look at location. The landlord will give you data and whatnot. But I've got a real um, I suppose live example of another case I've already got. Totally. And even more than that, what you can do is you could start very easily benchmarking your site. So you can start seeing, grouping your site by saying, hey, all my shopping center sites, all my high street sites, yeah. etc. And being like, well, which one's performing the best? You can see that very quickly and say, well, you know what? It's obvious. I should go and get more shopping center sites. So <laughs> that benchmarking piece is, a, is really critical to help our customers really improve that performance. And, it's, and I always ask, because there's a lot of people listening who are um, smaller operators. So yes. they might have one, two, three... 10 sites. Um, and I always say to him, you should utilize the tech stack just like the big guys do. Don't sit there thinking just because you're not um, Wagamama uh, that you're not going to get the same ability with CRM, with forecasting, with EPOS, whatever it might be. Uh, and do, do you see, have you got smaller customers that, that see that benefit? I, I totally agree with your point. And we have a lot of small customers, you know, that have one, two, three, 10 sites. Um, I, I think, that to me, there's two reasons. There's the reason you're saying, which is you're going to get benefit 100%, yeah. right? You're, 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 by just being able to get your sales in your pass, your labor, your inventory, then getting... Because they are the gut people, right? They know, because I've got one side. Of course I know what's going to happen, but you get it wrong a lot. Of course, of course. We all do, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's just so human. hard. Yeah. It's so human. And, and especially in a restaurant, right? You're busy running around on yeah. 50s and things. And being able to see the pattern in the data is so difficult. I think the other the other reason is that it really prepares you for your growth, yeah. right? And I think 
putting those systems in and just being able to see, okay, I've got that, I'm ready to, and I know when I went from one to two locations, and I, I think often people say, you know, one plus one in the restaurant and it's just not, it's not two, it's three, right? It's like the complexity. Just it's like, like kids, it, it, having one is bad, <laughs> having two, you're mad. Exactly. <laughs> That's the one I should use. Yeah. <laughs> two sets, you're mad. But, but, uh, but it's actually as you're thinking that, if you've got that, I think you make your life so much easier because then you're able to start thinking, I've learned everything, I've got the right robust system in place and I'm ready to scale. I, I, I'm getting a bit obsessive about tech stack with, with the small rocks. I really want to showcase the fact that they can, they can do what they want, right? And and the costs actually work just as well for a single site as it would for a, an enterprise site. If not, maybe a little bit better because you'll get your return a lot quicker, I presume, because you're seeing results tangibly in front of your eyes. Whereas I suppose if you're running an enterprise business, maybe it takes time to embed, to roll it out, to get it in place, for operators to buy in, all that kind of, all that fun stuff in an enterprise business. Totally. Uh, actually, there's an interesting one. So do you know Attis? Uh, yes. The, the, yeah, love, love the guys there. Um, we started with them when they had one site and then they're now getting to four. And, and he recently came to speak to, to one of our uh, company uh, internal meetings just to tell us about how he is. And he, you know, at the end of the interview, we'd interviewed him, asked him questions. And he was he very, very, it was great, great insights. He was like, you know, listen, just before I leave, I just want to tell you one thing. I can't tell you the number of times this has saved Attis's life during the whole process. And I, so I totally agree with you. On the small, smaller end, especially as you're developing, there's so much you need to do. I agree, you probably get more value than at the enterprise and when you have more systems and, and layers people and, and layers, yeah. exactly. That can <laughs> and partners, I imagine, because they've got probably SaaS, you know, seven or eight SaaS providers already plugging in, which would be useful to Tenzo, I guess. Exactly. Uh, whereas a smaller person might not, might exactly. just have EPOS or exactly. delivery. And, and so at your point of going and saying, hey, the tech stack's going to help you. I think it's very affordable now. There's some great systems out yep. there on POS labor inventory that can just help you really. And it always surprises me how little you need to do to actually see a massive difference on the bottom line. Yeah, that's right? why I'm such an advocate for it because I think if you do it well and land it properly, and I mean properly, I mean, we bought Pronet, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, in um, Carluccio's, and it was the early days of Pronet, and we were a real uh, advocate of it. And um, But we just messed it up entirely because the operators didn't have a clue. We didn't know what we were doing with it. We didn't know what we meant to do. We hated maintenance anyway, so we didn't want, <laughs> so we didn't want to log anything. We just couldn't be bothered. Uh, so, But we had a maintenance central team who actually, owned it in the end and actually got really behind it and manpowered it and then got it working and it and once we got it in wow the results were insane but it was just that that and we probably wasted a year i would say but we're paying for that year yeah uh, and also pronet are probably paying extra support for that year to make sure we're doing it right totally and uh, you know it's funny because when i when i was running a restaurant and before like i would buy you know so we had light speed as our pos yeah. for example and i remember always thinking the support for all these systems like they don't, I didn't feel like they knew how hard it was to run a restaurant. And coming back to that point I said earlier, like I think people outside the industry don't know how hard it. Like it's it's, it's horrific. It's, it's really <laughs> difficult, right? And, yes. And, and look at my face. <laughs> and I my, didn't get this way. <laughs> and and that's why you know I I when we set up Tenzo, I made being customer obsessed one of our core values because. Ultimately, I don't think, just like it's not just the AI on its own, it's AI plus human. It's not just like the tech you're buying from Tenzo. It's the support you're getting from it. Yeah. We are ex a team of expert restauranters. We're ex-restauranters. We know what we're talking about on this. And I think that's really where 
it, that really matters at the end of the day because then they know when it's like, hey, I'm busy, I've got, I'm opening a new restaurant. You're like, okay, I know what, how hard that is. I'm going to give you a chance and then we'll come back to it. So it's, it's about working collaboratively. And I think it's one of the really, and when you, you know, and I know your background, but I, I, and I think it makes a huge difference. And it's also language, right? Because uh, operators will say certain things like, you know, silly things like pre-shift or, you know, or talk about uh, back-to-backs or whatever it might be. They have certain, they have this secret language they use. And um, totally. actually, when sometimes if you're in a sales process or an onboarding process or managing support, whatever it might be, you might hear those that commonality and, and just go, uh, I don't really know what you do. So they'll just carry on as they were. But understanding real, I think, and, and the pressures now compared to when I was in five years ago, I think have trebled. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's harder now than ever because of the, you know, the obvious stuff, you know, uh, the head wins they're facing but um but i still think operators are really savvy and they're really innovative and they always they're always want the want is there it's the time yeah 100 yeah it's that sh- uh, that share of mind really yeah. of just being like i've got all these things to do I, I i agree with you that i think so my my i think it's harder for a lot of reasons right like the all the pressures at the end of the i'm also at the like when I think back of the fax machine and how that thing was just like horrendous and how good that how a lot of good tech there is now, I'm also like, I think it's helping too, right? You know, so yeah, yeah. I think that maybe the balance is is like, okay, this has become harder, but the tech is, is yes, helping yeah. that get down. So, um, oh, without I'm, a doubt, I mean, I mean, we were talking off air about Deliverette before you came in, and we we're talking, you know, that there's all all these different solutions that are out there, which which are, and I was t- I was having a, a row <laughs> with someone on LinkedIn the other day because they posted a picture of self checkouts at Marks and Spencers. And uh, the lady said, this is disgraceful. People are getting fired for this. This is not right. And I said, actually, I went to H&M last week for my wife to pick up a top in London, where even though we live in Cardiff, don't ask. Okay, uh, this is quite a trick for so, that. Yeah. <laughs> I was in London anyway. I'm not that mad. Okay. Uh, but anyway, I went to H&M like a guy, useless, on my mobile phone, my picture of my top I had to collect. And I uh, spotted this uh, lovely girl on the floor, and I was chatting to her, and she couldn't do enough for me, ran off to find it, couldn't find it, went out the back, couldn't find it, came up, brought me another one that was similar, and said, well, this do, and, I, and it did do. Weirdly, it was the right thing, so I bought that. But then she says, oh, you can go and check out over there. And I said, okay, I don't need it. She goes, no, no, just go scan it, and you can check out. So I checked out on my own. Uh, and, but there was a lady managing the checkout area, and she said, have a great day. I hope you found what you could. And I stopped her and went, you know what? I, this was brilliant. I said, yeah. I just loved that experience. And actually, the argument is not about losing jobs. It's about redeployment, and um, it's about putting 100%. the labor where it should be. And I know a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's smoke and mirrors. They're just getting rid of people. I genuinely believe customer-facing people are not making those decisions. They're trying to put people in the right place, and they're challenged by the incoming um, in terms of recruitment. I don't think they're challenged by the people within. They want them to do better. Obviously, that's their that's their business. Hundred percent agree. I couldn't agree more. I think it's all about and and similarly with 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 Tenzo, You know, we a lot of operators we speak to is like I spend like five hours on a Monday putting these reports together. I spend a full Monday, and it's not like they're not getting they're getting that time back. And how are they using it? They're thinking about okay, what does this data actually tell me? Instead of spending five hours putting the data together, spend five hours looking and making better decisions. I couldn't agree more on like that. Like the experience, the customer experience now is so much better because you don't have someone fighting with a till yeah. to try to make it work and and, and holding not doing... a PDQ in the air. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> holding a PDQ. That's so true. It's about like them like thinking about how can they be more helpful, yeah. and it's just a better experience. I mean, if you think about the Apple stores, for example, the number of people they have yeah. there to help you. To me, that just proves it even more. Right? No, no one's like trying to check you out or anything. They're just there and wanting to help you. They're actually adding more people because then they 
know that you're getting a good experience. I think experience. we need not be afraid. I think I think it. I mean, I'm 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 backing tech all the way here. So, uh, but I, I genuinely believe that it's obviously it's got to be right for your brand. It's got to fit. It's got yes. to work in your customer journey. But I also think we all need to go back and look at our customer journeys and actually say, is that right now? As Thank it you. was, for, and not even I mean, not even two years ago. You know, obviously we had something happening two years ago, which was horrible. Yes. So, uh, and I think there's a real big review that needs to happen top down uh, of how we treat our customers, how they enter, because there's the digital side of it, there's the at home, there's e-commerce, there's so many ways. But anyway, totally. I digress. Um, but, but just one last point on that. I think, I don't think anyone goes into hospitality looking forward to working on the till itself and just check, you know, <laughs> typing in, right? Or, or typing in the orders that are coming from delivery. I think they're going into hospitals because they love the food and they love the hospitality, the human side of things. Yeah. And if it's getting them away from that, having to be doing those roles and more being with a customer, everyone wins. And that was my other point to the lady on LinkedIn <laughs> I was having the row with. I need to let it go. Uh, but I was saying to her, I said, N nobody I've ever met in my career enjoys the till. Yes. Who I wants agree. to just sit there and check people out? It's the And nobody wants to pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've got no two one's people winning there. <laughs> staring at each other going, I hate you and you hate me and we don't want to be here. So get rid of it. Yep. Take it out and put that lovely person who you hired for a reason, the poor person behind that bloody till, put them on the floor. Put them as a host. Put them outside, wherever, but just let them set them free. It anyway. sounds like you won that wow. wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, she, she replied saying, good point. <laughs> or I think, she, I think she was calling the police at that point saying, let's just get rid of him. He's weird. Um, and one of the questions I had to ask was, on that point, so you've got your single site manager who is feeding Tenzo in, and you've got central support who've probably got a big, you know, a treble screen in their office, and they're watching all the analytics coming in. Does it work for everyone? Because I've had previous experiences of BI and um, working with different companies where the relevance of some reports or the relevance of some data wasn't for me as a general manager or, or an area manager in that, in that, if you think about it the other way around. Um, how do you get across that bridge? Because that, that can be a challenge as well. I agree. So two things to say on that. One is we really think about the reporting at the user point. So for example, we will define a GM user group an area manager user group and an HQ user group. Right. And when they log into Tenzo, they will see different things based on what user group they are. So for example, on the GM, we keep it very simple. Is it just single metrics? Like what's your average transaction value? What's your cost of labor as a percentage of sales? Whatever lever they can pull without confusing it with tons of data. And then as you go higher up, it becomes more, you can, you can put more data uh, to, to the users. That's number one. And what that, and, the, and number two, because they're all looking at the same tool, but different, they're all speaking the same reporting language in a way. So there's not like 15 versions of Excel or like, you know, I'm logging into the till here and the labor here and I don't understand what's going on. You're seeing something, you're just seeing different numbers, but it's all presented in the same way. So everyone is, so if you speak to George, the FD of the Breakfast Club, he said it gives so much transparency because everyone's aligned on what's happening. It's all automatically updated. So. I, at the enter, at the extreme end of enterprise where you've got people wanting to do very deep analysis, we can you can plug in Power BI or Tableau or look on top of Tenzo to go and do even more complex analysis. These sexy dashboards and yeah. all these crazy <laughs> things, and you can go completely crazy. So we do, a, we, you know, we feel like we can address ninety five percent of the use cases, especially the ones at the operators. But for that five percent, we can enable it. Uh, but but by getting everyone on the same page, it transforms the business. The clarity part is really important because I, I I used to think we used to talk apples and pears a lot. So I would work in my site or I'd run my area, and I know what's going on. Right? You talk about gut feeling. I can't add a good feeling. I had my numbers 
I go for my finance meeting with Frank Bandura, if you're listening at College Years. And Hello, Frank. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? One of the best, I mean, no offense to other finance people, but the best financial operator I've ever worked with in terms of just, he just got ops as well as obviously really well understood the finance. And um, meeting with him is really interesting because he would always flip it. Uh, so we were apples and apples talking. Uh, and I think sometimes when you're getting different data to different people, you end up presenting something you didn't really mean mm-hmm. and you end up getting yourself in the right muddle. And, and it, it affects performance. I genuinely believe I totally agree. data is great, but if it's inaccurate or you're reading it the wrong way or it's not for you and you spend too much time trying to dissect it, it becomes a real problem. And it's a turnoff, right? A GM yeah. that's just like, oh, there's too much data, forget it. I'm not looking yeah. at it, right? And, and, it's, and, and often people who are more comfortable with data is like, oh, but it's fine. They can just go and look at what they want. I'm like, no, no, no. You want to strip it back to the bare minimum. They're too busy. Yeah. Just give them what they really need yeah, it's and not tell an them what thing. It's they not. literally need to see snapshot. Where am I at? What have I got exactly. to do? And what and, can I do? And yeah. they've got maybe like two or three minutes to do that on yeah. their mobile. They don't have, like, oh, I need to go and pull the data. And to your point of like that stinky room at the back where there's no <laughs> windows and it's like, just you just don't want to go there, right? You I want to every designer who's listening to this, the hospitality architects who go and evilly put, I know why you're doing it. The ops director has told you build the worst office in history, <laughs> then they'll never go in there. Because I spent years actually when the offices were quite nice, where people would disappear and then have their lunch, you know, hang out in there, which was odd for hostility, but it, ha- it happens. And on that, so... You give permission. With forecasting, you give permission to people to look into the future and to have an accurate lead on what they're doing. What kind of results do you see in terms of profit? I mean, it, is it directly linked to profit? I know it's an obvious question, but um, do you see the results coming through from that? Totally. I mean, I think on the forecasting lever specifically, you know, obviously there's two things. There's your labor deployment and your and your prep or ordering. Yeah. Um, on the labor side, we've proven with people like Nando's a 15% improvement in labor productivity, i.e. how much revenue you're making per labor hour is going up by 15%, which is actually a really big, big number. 15% is a lot. It's a lot, <laughs> right? And then in terms of wastage, we're seeing a reduction of, uh, so with Virgoco, we showed an 80% reduction in, in the waste because they knew how much to prep and how much to order in, right? So by doing that, that's two very important levers from the forecasting side. But generally from the data side, if you think from the sales, labor, and inventory data that we bring in, there's also things like driving average transaction value, being able to like do benchmarking to help understand what's how good could I be here. And we think generally there's about a 15, at a, well, at a minimum with our customers, we see a 15% improvement in their bottom line by deploying Tenzo, by pulling all these different levers, wow. by giving that clarity. And, and you talk about partners, actually, because, well, you didn't talk about partners, but the fact that you're managing labor, you must be working with a labor uh, scheduling system or something like that, or you'll be working with a, a uh, I'm trying to not give throw names out there, or, uh, you know, or someone who's working on food costs, all that kind of stuff. So how important are the partners to your success? Because obviously, you're kind of, uh, I suppose, the middleman in a way, yeah. or dragging it, dragging all their data in to present it in a beautiful way and an analytical way to your customers. Uh, how important are they in your success? Big time. Uh, the ecosystem, the, the, the generally the the tech stack, as we were talking about yeah. at the beginning, is so important, right? We, you know, we have relationship with seventy different P- POS labor inventory tools now, and right. we're constantly looking for, for to, to build with more. And it's actually a really interesting relationship because, as you say, with that middleman showing them, we're taking the data from these different sources. So obviously, they're, they're so important for us to like get that data. But we also help them in lots of ways because we're helping them show when the data is not entered correctly in the yeah. till or in the labor to in the inventory. So we're helping them get better usage from those yeah. tools. So it's a very, very positive relationship. It's like a race to accuracy, isn't it? Because you're constantly iterating to... 
uh, or, for, or, the, or your partners are iterating saying, oh, wow, we didn't know that was happening. We had a feeling, but we didn't know. And then you can showcase that, right? Yeah. Just through literally because you're seeing the end result. Totally. And, you know, it's like garbage in is garbage out, right? Yes. So, and, and the problem with operators, uh, with your example with, with Pronet, was just like you don't have the time initially to set it up and you buy it, you're excited, and then you're like just, oh, well, there's a million things I need to do and don't put the energy. We're able to come in and, and help that POS, that labor they rental tool, to actually be like, oh, this one's not done it probably. Why is it? Oh, this is what we need to be doing just to be able to do that. And I think that's really where it becomes like it's a win-win all around. The customer's happier because they get more accurate data. The partner's happier because they're like get a happy customer. And we're happy because we've got accurate data to show the customer. And and, and with Tenzo, is there, I mean, oh, I know you have a roadmap, surely, somewhere yes, in some. your back pocket. <laughs> um, what's the plan? You, what do you want to do? Because obviously you're doing some great stuff and it looks fantastic. Supporting ops, I think if you could pick a tagline, you know, or empowering ops, uh, if you could pick a tagline to work, with it's probably the most important right i think for any business because they're the guys that make stuff happen exactly i didn't say the swear word uh they make stuff happen and what's the plan going down the road to further support that that's a that's a great question lots of things so i think so our vision at the uh, at the outset has very much been making the restaurant industry more successful and more sustainable right so when i ran Homer's brothers the amount of food we wasted was just freaking sickening and i think and no one goes in the industry wanting to waste yeah. food right it's just it's crazy and and more successful because i saw so many operators including myself struggling to like make it all work because it was just too hard to get all this data so we want to make everyone more successful and more sustainable in order to make that happen, to supercharge the restaurant's performance, we need to make it easy for operational teams who have very time uh, poor to engage with their data. Yeah. And anything we can do to do that is really... So ultimately, you know, we're starting to experiment with things around like uh, how can AI help us give the right insights at the right time? And that might be around forecasts as we're doing already, but it also might be around like, hey, can you tell me the three actions I should do today to drive the performance in a chat GPT style kind of the GM asking that? Because whatever can make it as easy as possible for the GM to engage with that data, that will make the restaurant more I love successful. That. I, I was talking about Intercom the other day. I don't know if you know yes, Intercom. Yeah, so, course, um, yeah. And uh, Intercom was, uh, I'm looking for it for Tech on Toast to help support some of my customers. And the AI side of it, I, f I mean, I, I'm literally, I love it. And I know um, it's a threat to humanity, according to GMTV. Uh, but <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, they're always right about everything. <laughs> Piers Morgan knows. Um, he does. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I find it, I, it's that speed of information. And actually, these kids are growing up with that anyway, right? They're not like me. Uh, they're different. They're, and I see it through my children, the way they're learning. I mean, my son's doing his GCSEs, the way he's revising. It's just the, the apps he can use and the way he can literally plan his revision sessions are insane. I was there with a bunch of paper, right? So, And I'm sure it all works in different ways. But um, I think if you can enable GMs, at, at, actually any level in hostility, to get information quicker and accurately, it's a game changer. Totally agree. And I think if you look at, you know, when you and I started in the in the industry... I'm glad you're today, putting me in the same bracket as your age. I'm we privileged. <laughs> <laughs> the the you know the industry's changed a ton and actually you know the expectation of people going into the industry is that they would have tools like they used to have the ones at home like yeah. with Google and Facebook and uh, ChatGPT etc and so if they get into the in, in the industry and they're like what is why are you using fax machine tools what's going on <laughs> you know like if they're not you if you're using <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> but if you're if you're not using tools that's really easy to use and and you you won't you will lose them right yeah. and and actually tied with this whole rebrand what we've been doing is really trying to is 
making Tenzo design first, i.e. make the tool so easy to use that they can come in and just be like, okay, I know what I need to do. And this is not like, how oh, it's making it pretty and all. It's all about making it so usable, yeah. just like our iPhone, right? You don't need a, an instruction manual. I, I think that was the thing that I most, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here, but um, immediately Elizabeth, um, we sent an email out and I got the email saying that, you know, you know big news. Uh, so I went and had a look and it's so intuitive, isn't it? And I think the journey, um, and I'm, obviously I have another company called Atollo and we're rebuilding our journey on a daily basis in a startup as you do. And um, oh, it, yes. and it, it, it's such a learning curve and I find, it, I find it so interesting when people are doing it as well because I want to see what other people are doing. And all of my team, I showed it to everybody. We were sat in a room the other day with all of our team at Tolo. And we're like, look, this is where we need to get to. And it's not your first go, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's that's what I was trying to explain, because they looked a bit downtrodden. I was like, it's not about making mistakes. It's about learning. It's a bit, a bit like AI. Yeah. Uh, and it's about just really taking best in class and standing on the shoulders of giants and trying to keep yeah. going that way. And I think that's what I got from it. And the intuitive tech is absolutely crucial. Nest Pensions who we use for our other company. We tried to make a payment to them yesterday. I, we couldn't. They're, yeah, I, I know that they're very difficult. <laughs> it's government-run tech. If they're listening, just come and give us a call. Yeah. We can help you. <laughs> but, but, you know, just that you made an interesting point there around, like, startups and the iteration. What I, what I tell our team always is to be successful as a startup, you need to constantly be experimenting and be... And the startup that runs the most experiments, and they'll be a lot of them that will be failures, right, yes. these experiments, will be the most successful at the end of the day because they will have figured out what experiment actually got them to the right answer. Yeah. And you just need to be iterating and doing that. And it's that scary, isn't it? I it think because is. a lot of our people have come, What we, we hired adults, as we called them. So we hired people who've been, you know, had 10 years of their career already. So they weren't straight in. And we've got, obviously got a mix, but uh, our senior team are all people who've come in and been doing it. And for them, from a corporate background, and they've got great very network, hard. they're watching it going, you lot are mad. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very uncomfortable for yeah. them, right? They're just I've like, just well, this planned like, this. <laughs> You've broken it already. They're like, yes, and it's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say that all the time until the next one. This is the best version of the best version that I did, which is best. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but I, I think it's crew. And how have the team, uh, the, the, I presume the team enjoyed it, right? Because it looks like a labor of love. Oh, yes. I mean, and I think there was this feeling, you know, several years in the making, like uh, the 800, from, from days. 800 days, exactly. <laughs> I think there was this feeling of, pride for them to be like we did it yeah. you know there was really this feeling that like you know what we actually did this yeah. it's amazing so they're like really incredible feeling um and i think the, the the reactions we've had have been so positive that actually we're like okay we've done the right thing until that point we're like well how's the how's the industry going to react you just don't know, do you? no you don't it was a bit like we were keeping this under wraps and just being like, and then we went and i think you like, did it the right way i think it's not i think it was right to be because the temptation to drip feed and yes. to kind of say, oh, look, this is what we're doing just in case you want to, yes. <laughs> you don't want to be a customer anymore, uh, you know, kind of thing. But I, I think, and have the customers um, had the same reaction? Very much so. Yeah. I, I agree with that big bang piece. It's just like going, we called it a lightning strike. It's yeah. like we announced it and then we were like, like that. you know, just lightning like, boom. Uh, and, <laughs> My and, business partner, Kieran, will like that. He'll be using that tonight. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I think you get a lot of energy, both from the team, from the customers, from the press. Yes. And, and we, like, I just had a conversation this morning with Nando's before before this, where we were, like, talking about this and this whole rebrand. And, and there was a lot of energy in that conversation. Being like, this is really, like, really thoughtful. We, like, there's even more value we could be getting here. And, like, just, like, 
energizing conversation saying you're not staying still you're actually like freaking moving and, and that's I'm, I'm rebuilding the Tech on Toast website as we speak well I'm not someone's helping me um, in Spain uh, doing it at the, the moment thing. yeah yeah so, <laughs> so there's a, a lovely man called Roman in uh, Spain who's, uh, who's uh, rebuilding it as we speak because I, I also don't want to stand still I think it's yes. really important that if people invest in you as in customers and, and give you their money to say look we like your product go and do what you got to do then you can't stand still yeah, otherwise, you're going backwards, right? A hundred percent. You have to, especially in this world, right, where things are constantly being yeah. innovating. So on, so, yeah. yeah, otherwise, I get left behind. But anyway, look, this has been a brilliant chat. We could probably do three hours uh, easily. <laughs> I'd be happy and to. the fact that you arrive on the slide still just blows my mind. In fact, anybody who comes on this podcast from now on, if you don't come on the slide, you're not allowed in the studio. That, that should be the rule. That is, it is the rule. We've just created it. <laughs> and Christian, um, obviously, people will be wanting to go and check out your website. What, what's the uh, web, what's the web address? It's uh, gotenzo.com. So g o t n z o dot com. And what's Tenzo? I should have asked. Oh yes, that's a very good question. So. It, it's the name of the Buddhist monk in the in the monastery. <laughs> I did not think you were going there, but that, yeah, that does all the cooking. So we wanted to bring Zen to the restaurant space. So we're like love the Buddhist that. monk in the monastery that's doing the food. That's 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 got to be the name. Do you know what? That's why I love this podcast. I learned so much. And and what about you? Can people contact you directly? Are you happy to? Yeah, yeah very happy. I mean, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, or uh, my email is Christian at gotenzo.com. Love it. Look. Great. Thank you very much. I presume you have a very busy day in London today. And uh, we're going to head back to the bar, which is just to our right. And uh, yeah, say bye-bye. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. It was amazing. My pleasure. Bye-bye.